What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. Asian bitches down under the podcast about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diasporas in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show by Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you have enjoyed our episodes, please support us by giving us a five-star rating and get your friends on board to listen to us. Finally, we would love you to support this podcast by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee program. Your wonderful support and donations will help us to continue creating the platform for diversity and inclusivity. Make sure you check out the episode show notes for any collaborations we're working with to promote. Thanks again, and we hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hi everyone. On today's episode, we're delighted to have the amazing and super talented designer and cookbook creator Frankie Gao. Frankie shares his journey of being from an innovative child who loves to draw to an industrial designer working for Facebook, and now a creator for the cookbook First Generation. Frankie talks about his passion for food and the importance of expressing his Asian American identity through the love of nostalgic food. So now here's my conversation with the wonderful Frankie. Thank you so much、uh, for joining me today, Frankie.、Um, firstly,、um, could you re-、uh, introduce yourself? You know, tell us about your family, where you grew up.、Um, were you born in US or were you born in Taiwan? Yeah.、Um, so my name is Frankie.、Um, Yeah, I was born in the U.S.、So、I was born in Texas, actually.、Uh, my family, well, my parents, they immigrated from Taiwan to Texas in the '80s, I believe,、mm-hmm. for graduate school. So,、okay. um, like, they came over. My uncles and aunts all came over. They all kind of came over around the same time.、Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was born in Texas because、um, that's where they were going to college. So. Um, but then, as soon as I was born in Texas, they moved to Ohio. So I spent the majority of my childhood in Ohio, which is kind of like、um, it's like the Midwest, considered the Midwest in the U.S. So、mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to describe it. It's very much like very suburban, very flat.、Um, like you have like small pockets of like little towns, and then just outside of that, it's just like all farms. So.、Mm-hmm. Um, And you have like a lot of plazas that are like strip malls, and everything looks like it's from like the '90s, <laughs> even、mm-hmm. now today. So that's kind of the environment I grew up in.、Um, and I was like the only, I was like one of the only Asian kids、um, mm-hmm. around. I would say like most of my friends were white. So I feel like I grew up with a very like Midwest American upbringing,、mm-hmm. like living in the suburbs, like、um, eating. All the like McDonald's and the like、uh, fast foods and like all these things that you would kind of associate with like American kids. Like that was that was definitely、um, something that I can relate to. So yeah, I had like a very yeah a very Midwestern American childhood. Like my my parents and me, like I am an only child, so it's just the three、mm-hmm. of us in the、mm-hmm. suburbs. Um, and then my family was kind of spread out throughout the country, so. Um, it really was just us. Like I didn't really have like outside of like the holidays, I didn't really see my family, like my Taiwanese family, that much.、And、my、mm. parents never went back to Taiwan very often.、Mm. So yeah, like a lot of my childhood was 
I would say very much like me associating with like my American side. Mm -hmm. Um, And because I was Asian, like I stood out a lot. And so I felt like as a kid, I always, I think I like suppressed the like Asian side of me. Like I try to like cover it all the time. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I just want to fit in. Like, why do I have to stand out? And so, yeah, I think a lot of my childhood all the way up until high school was very much like, yeah, my upbringing was very much about like my American culture and fitting in and trying to, like my identity was very much catered to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until later. In, yeah. It wasn't until later in my life where I really started to explore like my heritage and my roots and my mm-hmm. Taiwanese side. So, yeah. yeah. So I guess it had, it, it must be a bit difficult for you growing up. I mean, did you, were you bullied? Do you think that there were any discrimination that you experienced as a child when you were growing up? Um, I feel like I was bullied like as a kid. I mean, probably not more than any other kid would have been in my mm-hmm. situation. Like, I think I was lucky that I wasn't like severely bullied. It wasn't like this huge trauma that I had to deal mm-hmm. with, like bullying, luckily. But I would say it's more of like the nuanced things that happen, like just like the side comments or like mm. the like little quips here and there about your race and like just the things that um, like people would call you out for, like your hair, your eyes, the food you eat, mm. like the food that you eat smells, like all these like little things that um, I wouldn't account to as bullying, but they definitely make you, I think, question your identity and question like the value of your identity and so um i think that's those were like more of the things that i dealt with growing up um less mm-hmm. so than like the major bullying and name calling for sure but mm, i see did you ever talk to your parents about it did you think did they respond to any of your concerns about your identity you think um the funny thing is i never really talked to them about it as a kid like i feel like it was something that i never mentioned to them and I think to some degree like my parents also I'm sure dealt with it also like I I really I distinctly remember my mom like making this shift from like being an Asian mom to being like a mom trying to be like all the other like moms in our neighborhood like her style changed yeah like her style (laughs) changed like she started reading People magazine and so I think we almost were kind of like dealing with similar things but just in different parts of our lives in a way Mm -hmm. but we just never addressed it it was just it was just it was just the way it was and so Mm -hmm. um and I don't think I ever fully like as a kid understood the like depth of like how that was shaping who I was or like the way I was thinking about my culture I think it was just Mm -hmm. like because they were just like little things here and there just kind of just um I almost I think as a kid thought of it as like like adapting I was just like adapting to my environment and trying to like make the best of where I was so mm-hmm. um I never had a, a moment or a situation where I was like okay like I need to talk to my parents about this because I think in hindsight I just like I just didn't understand at the time mm-hmm. I see you mentioned that your parents don't really go back to Taiwan after they moved mm-hmm. to the US have you visit Taiwan yourself yes yeah, so I mm-hmm. so I've I've gone as an adult a few times now, but oh, um, that's, that's that's brilliant. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember, like 
when I first started to really think about like my culture and, and trying to explore like the foods that um, I grew up with eating, like at my grandma's house, I like, I think that's what piqued my curiosity. So the first time I went back as, a, as an adult, mm-hmm. I went by myself. I just like wanted to do a solo trip and just kind mm-hmm. of like see it for myself. Yep. Um, and then I went a couple of times after that, but um, as a family, we had only gone one time and I was like maybe 10 years old um 10 or 11 um and that was the only time our family ever went in like the 18 years that like you know we all lived together um so so what yeah. prompted you to um actually i'm gonna go back with a little bit i was going to yeah, ask sure. you about food but um as a i want to ask you as a ch- young child what did you want mm-hmm. to do when you were growing up yeah i <laughs> wanted to be um I wanted to be an inventor is what mm-hmm. I would tell my parents. Um, I used to have like a book, like a sketchbook of like drawings. I used to love to draw as a kid. Uh-huh. I would just draw different inventions. Like I drew, oh, so I remember cute. drawing like, like a, um, I remember drawing like a comb that had shampoo in it. Uh-huh. And then like you press a button so you could comb your hair while shampooing at the same time. That's <laughs> actually very clever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but because you have to dry your hair anyway, uh-huh. comb it. But uh, it was just like I always wanted to like create things, like make things. Um, I was always really creative as a kid, and so um, I was always drawing. Um, I was always just like making things with my hands. Um, so yeah, that's I wanted. Yeah, I wanted to be an inventor. It was what I would tell my parents. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then what did you end up studying? I ended up studying industrial design. So mm-hmm. um, so similar-ish. Like mm-hmm. I, when I was in school, like in high school, I was doing a lot of art classes, and so I remember telling my parents that I wanted to be like an artist. Like oh, mm-hmm. I was like oh, I want to draw. Like when I grow up, like I want to be able to do art and. Mm-hmm. Um, paint and 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 find, do fine arts for a living um but my parents were like um <laughs> like no <laughs> like you can't do that because how are you gonna make any money like we sacrifice so much immigrate and work hard just to get to college and you're gonna waste it on a fine arts degree <laughs> like definitely not so um so i was lucky that like my dad i remember he like looked up uh like what are degrees that are like tangential to art but like Mm -hmm. still make you money (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that's how he found industrial design and then when he told me about it I was like oh my gosh like that's actually like really close to something I would love to do like industrial design basically you creating physical products um for a consumer market and so Mm -hmm. uh, but there's like a lot of drawing it's a lot of creativity and so uh, so yeah, so I went to design school and studied industrial design. Um, I really love that. College. That's yeah. something that I will probably look into for my kid. My youngest child, she's yeah. now, she loves to do drawing all the time. Mm. It's so creative. She just gets boxes and paper and start making things. Yeah. Nothing. And say that, yeah. Mom, look at this, you know, you can do, you know, you can project lights from here and look at in through it and yeah. things like that. Yeah. That's ex- that's exactly what industrial design was like. Like school was literally just like us drawing or making things out mm-hmm. of paper or cardboard or foam. And it was probably one of the most fun times of my life, like those four years. It's just such a fun experience to be able to like be creative and like not have any boundaries and just like be able mm-hmm. to experiment and kind of figure out how far your creativity could go. So um i highly recommend it as a as a 
the degree if you if your kid is into drawing and yeah, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Were there a lot of Asians in that field of, um, say, the occupations? Do you think? So it was definitely the first time I saw like a lot of like a lot more Asians and more diversity in general. And I'm not sure if it's because of the field or because of the school I went to. So I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, it was, it just attracted that program specifically just attracted a lot of people from all over the U S. And so, mm-hmm. um, we just had a lot of different cultures represented in our class. It was, um, majority it was like there were more females than males there were a lot of asians um and so it was definitely like the first time i was in an environment where i didn't feel like alone i guess i was like oh wow like like i i never had like asian friends for example until college like okay. so it was yeah so it was definitely a change but um uh it definitely yeah it was a it was a it was an eye-opening experience for sure mm. So what did you do afterwards, after your studies? Did you continue on to um, work in occupations in the industrial design? Um, so I actually ended up, I pivoted a little bit. So mm-hmm. I um, I ended up working at Facebook after school. So um, I, um, I was studying industrial design the entire time, but I had a TA who she was about two years ahead of me she had already graduated came back to um, basically recruit for Facebook. And so I had just seen her like casually, like in the hallways. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's like so good to see you again. And she was just like, Hey, you should just like talk to us. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't have a, uh, they were looking for a user experience designer to design their, mm-hmm. their app essentially. And I was like, I have no experience in that. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, you just talk to us anyways. And so I ended up taking the interview just, um, casually and then it kind of spun into uh, an offer and so mm-hmm. they're like yeah like you can be like you don't have to have experience but like we can teach you um, and a lot of the same skill sets you have in industrial design kind of apply to like uh, user experience mm-hmm. design because essentially it's just a different medium but mm-hmm. you know essentially it's problem solving and so um, so yeah I just like took the leap and I decided to work at Facebook so um, after school, I moved to California, uh, San Francisco, California. Um, and I worked at Facebook for maybe three years, mm. um, after college. And I worked on, um, I don't know if you've ever seen like their live video features where like people can go live, like on the platform. Oh yeah. Um, they are so that, apps. yeah, so that was my, yeah, yeah. So that was my project was designing, okay. um, Facebook live, um, for, okay. Um, for Facebook, so hmm. um, so yeah, so that's what I did for for three years, and then yeah, I was pretty much in tech from then on. Um, mm-hmm. So you got brilliant skills of creating content. <laughs> like just looking Thank through you. your Instagram, like my kids were like, "Oh my god, is that a restaurant?" You know, <laughs> am I looking at the menu for a restaurant? It's just so amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, so this Thank is where you. I'm going to go into, as in your relation with food. How did you yeah. jump from creating, you know, the user experience and the content and also for working for Facebook and now you're working on a cookbook? How did yeah. you of doing that? I mean, it was there's definitely a bit of a chunk of time between Facebook and the book, but um mm-hmm. I was 
I was in tech up until maybe 2020, like mm -hmm. up until the pandemic. So I was working mm -hmm. full time as a designer and I, I've always just like loved food. And I feel like, especially as I was getting older, I was starting to feel really nostalgic for, um, like the foods like my grandma would make. So my grandma would like both on both sides, like both my grandmas can cook, which I'm very lucky um, that I had that. <laughs> um, so I grew up eating a lot of like pork steamed buns and scallion mm. pancakes and all these like really like nostalgic homey foods, basically Asian grandma foods <laughs> that uh, I think just like have a lot of soul and they just have always stuck with me. And it's like always the, the thing I want when I need comfort. And so I think as I was older and working, I realized like, like I craved those foods, like those were the things that I craved, mm -hmm. but I just didn't know how to make them. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I've always described myself as like a professional eater, but I was never a cook. Like I just, <laughs> I was just good at eating yeah. and cooking was just a means to make the food that I wanted to mm -hmm. eat, <laughs> like that I thought about eating. And so, so yeah, while I was working, I started to just like, I started to go to my grandma's um, house to kind of just learn because oh. I had this kind of existential crisis where, because I'm an only child and like on my mom's side, there's only like a few cousins. So there's, I don't have a very big family mm. um, and no one is really into cooking at all. Mm. And I think I had either read an article or someone had shared it to me where um, it was about how like first and second generation immigrants in America, like, a lot of these recipes and their families are being lost with their generation mm -hmm. because they either don't care about the food or they just like haven't learned how to cook those recipes. And so mm -hmm. like basically all this like historic knowledge is like lost with like their generation slash my generation. And so I was mm -hmm. kind of like thinking about that and I was like, oh my God, like I'm the last person who really cares <laughs> about this stuff. <laughs> like mm -hmm. if like all of our cousins just like, you know, gone to doing you know, something now hypothetically we're gone like yeah. all this food that we grew up with and all this history uh would kind of just like vanish so mm -hmm. uh that kind of made me freak out a little bit and so that's why i started going that's what started the journey of me oh. going to my grandma's house mm -hmm. um and documenting these recipes and i would fly to her place like maybe once or twice a year to like specifically just like videotape her Yep. um making you know steamed buns or scallion buns or whatever she was making at the time i would just document and write down every everything mm -hmm. um and then after i visit her i'd go home and practice um and because i've i've always just been um someone who loves design and loves photography i naturally just wanted to document it in a way mm -hmm. that was um like aesthetic and would really tell the story of this food uh, so that's how it all kind of jump started. It just started with the seedling of like, I need to figure out how to make this food and preserve this history okay. for my family, for myself, but more so just like for my family too. Um, and so, yeah, that's how it, that's how it all started. Um, that's so that's sweet. how the documentation started too. So. That's so sweet. Yeah. I think your grandma will loves you to go and visit her. <laughs> Every grandma loves their grandkid to visit them and teach them how to <laughs> yeah. cook. Yeah. Yeah. So did you grow up? Um, what did you eat when you were growing up? Were your parents big on food? So it's funny, like I grew up eating, um, it was a, it was a wide range. So mm -hmm. my parents, they were big on food in the sense that they, they also love to eat. Um, mm -hmm. but 
they weren't like huge cooks. Like they weren't, both of my parents weren't like crazy like cooks where they would just like pull up, you know, dishes on dishes on a table and you have like, yeah, they would never, they were never this, they were very much like, like my dad had like one or two dishes he'd always make. He'd always make like, um, like a soy salmon or, um, Fanchit Saudan, which is like yeah. a, the fried tomato. tomato. Yeah, like fried, egg. It's fried yeah. tomato that I feel like a lot of other like Asian immigrant families have also. Yeah. Um, and then my mom, like, again, she was like very much on this journey of like trying to be American. So she Aww. would make like salads, like she would make <laughs> salads, but like, uh, or like she'd make like spaghetti or mm. she would make, I'm trying to think of, she would make a lot of like really funny things, but there would always be like slightly off like the spaghetti would have like she would make a pot of spaghetti but she would put like the soy salmon on top of it like it was just like little combinations <laughs> it's a like fusion. That. <laughs> yeah or uh yeah like the salad would be like salad she would try to make like a caesar salad but it would just have like a ton of broccoli on top of it or something <laughs> so it was just like an odd an odd mixture of food and mm-hmm. i felt like yeah i mean my family my both my parents worked a lot Mm. um they both worked um corporate jobs um and so they i think food was something that they obviously wanted to make sure i was nourished but it was also like whatever is like the most efficient thing possible Mm. we're just gonna make him yeah um and so i think a lot of like my nostalgic food memories come from my grandparents so whenever we would go for like holidays that's when i would get crazy dishes of like you know steamed buns and like chive pockets and scallion pancakes and uh, yeah there's like so much food that I like my parents never made for me and so I think it was like I think that really had an impact on the food that inspired me later on in life Mm -hmm. um and so yeah and I think it was just seeing my parents also like eating that food too and like the memories that that would have for them I think was really yeah. yeah it was really cool to see and so I think that that was kind of like the food environment that I grew up in. It was it was like a mixture of hints of like nostalgia, but then like a lot of just like food that was for, like for efficiency's sake. And so I feel like I never grew up very like, like I always, I never considered myself a, an expert on like Taiwanese food, for example, because like I never really ate that much of it growing up. And so I think a lot of the food that I make now is very much me trying to like, it's more of like an exploration of my identity, like mm-hmm. both the Taiwanese and the American side. Mm-hmm. Um, like I never tell people that like this, I'm the authority on X, Y, and Z because I'm definitely not. Like I'm not a professional chef. I don't have nearly the context that like a lot of other people do. But I think for me, food has always just been an expression of my identity and just like my own personal perspective. So. Oh, that's so well said. I love that. I I love every bit of what you said about the identity <laughs> through food. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm like this is what my son will be saying in like ten years time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. I don't cook a lot. I mean, we do the usual cookings in our, my household, but then yeah. when my kids go to my parents' place. Um, mm-hmm. my mom would just cook up a storm and especially yeah. at the festival times, like for example, uh, Lunar New Year, Dragon Ball Festival mm-hmm. and all other celebrations throughout the year, my mom would just cook up a lot. And yeah. but at the same time, um my mom's she's uh she's Taiwanese Taiwanese, whereas my dad he's mm. Taiwanese and with Chinese ancestry. So my yeah. 
paternal grandparents has a lot of um, food influence from northern China. That's why mm-hmm. I, I really I was really attracted to your page because there's a lot of dumplings and bows. That's what I grew up mm-hmm. um, eating yeah. at my grandparents' place back in Taiwan as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. Yeah, totally. Um, so, what's your comfort food? You think apart is dumpling your first uh, food to go for comfort, or is it anything else? Yeah, I would say, I think for me, like. When it comes down to it, it's definitely like yeah, it's like pork dumplings, vegetable dumplings, like baozi, like simbao. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the things that I'm like, I could eat those every day and be completely fine. <laughs> I would never get tired of it. Um, but then I, I also have like you know American comfort food, like French fries. Like I love French fries. Like I could also <laughs> yeah. eat, I could also eat McDonald's French fries every day and be okay. So it's just like a, it's like a really odd mix. Um, mm. Like I always, I always say, like if I were on an island and like I could only bring two things, it would be dumplings and French fries. Like <laughs> the two things. So, so yeah. That's Those a good. Ident- that's a good indication of your identity, that Asian and yeah. American, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, I love how you emphasize on the names of the dishes that you have. For example, the mm-hmm. gua bao. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually one of my pet hates of the. I don't know. In the uh, in the US to um, mm-hmm. culinary scene, but in Australia yeah. there has been the past five six years there's been a lot of little pop up uh, food trucks mm. with white people selling bao, as in but it's yeah. actually gua bao, and yeah. I really hate the scene when they call it the bao, but it's not really yeah. the baozi that we call it as you know chinese but it's mm-hmm. it's actually gua bao the sandwich form yeah yeah totally so yeah what do you think how important it is as the language usage in the food industry yeah i think it's super important like it's definitely yeah. something i'm conscious of and yeah i'm sure like i'm definitely not perfect like sometimes i i i can feel myself slip up sometimes where i'm like i will try to cater the term to a wider audience and I can, I'll mm. subconsciously call it, I'll say like steam bun, for example, when I'm talking to someone in like an interview or talking to someone or like writing a caption, even though it's, it's about like, and so, um, it's something I'm still working on too, even mm. though I yeah. consciously do care about it a lot. Um, but I think it is really important because I think it's like, I want kids who are growing up with the same culture as me to not feel the same feelings that I do when I think about should I call it a scene bun or should I call it a bow? Mm. Like, I just want them to be like, oh, it should, it's a bow, like, and I'm proud to call it a bow. And I don't care that it sounds different or that you might not understand what it is um, relative to calling it like steam bun. Um, like, I think it is really important to call out its, um, its actual name. And then, mm. you know, you can specify it in parentheses or you can put something after it, but I do think it's important for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of your exploration in food inventions, I was looking yeah. at one of your uh, Instagram story that you develop. Uh, you would, or I don't know if it's gonna be um, on your menu, the cookbook. Uh, yeah. Sour cream scallion pancake. Oh yeah. How did that came about. <laughs> that is um, a really that come about? interesting combination to be. Yeah. It was. I've always loved, I don't know if you have this in Australia, but we have Pringles, like the brand yes. Pringles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's 
like again coming from the midwest like in suburbia like that was always like one of the things i loved to eat like mm-hmm. as a kid in my lunchbox with sour cream and onion <laughs> pringles and for some reason like i've always felt like that flavor profile would work really well with scallion pancakes because scallion pancakes have like that scallion scallion oniony mm-hmm. like subtle yeah. flavor and i'm like oh like it would be so interesting to try and mix those two together mm-hmm. and see if that flavor profile would work in a scallion pancake. And so that's kind of how it came about. But it was really, it was very much like, it wasn't anything serious. It was more of like a playful experimentation of like literally combining two parts of my identity and seeing mm-hmm. if it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good, but it obviously wasn't as good as, you know, the OG scallion pancake, but um it's like those things that i love about food is that you can like you do have room to explore and play around and Mm. um i think to me i'm not i'm not scared of the word fusion i think there are a lot of cooks and home chefs and and restaurants that are coming up now that are that are people who are who came of age um as like a first and second generation Mm. kid dealing with multiple cultures and so to me i think it, it, it i think those those types of foods that are exploring different sides of that person are valid. And so to me, I think it's, you know, why not try and see if those two things work? Um, yeah. yeah. As long as it's personal to that person, like that, yeah, that person yeah, and their definitely. foods and their story, then I think, yeah, it's like, absolutely. it's fun to, to play around. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a bit hard to um, have a discussion around authenticity now mm-hmm. regarding to culture of food isn't yeah. it? because what's authenticity yeah. it, everyone's it's very personal food is very personal yeah everyone it's very subjective over the different flavors totally. how you grew up with isn't it yeah yeah um, totally so my next question is your journey of creating the book i've seen mm-hmm. your post about how you it's like a one-man studio. You have the lighting, yeah, and the camera, yeah, and, right yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you have to hold the plate of food, and you have to hold, yeah. you know, adjust the camera as well. How did you go through that? Yes, tell us about um, oh, the journey of creating the book. It was, yeah. I mean, I I wrote the entire book and photographed the entire book during the pandemic. <laughs> so it was. I mean, I. I probably would have done it by myself anyways, but just given the the time period of like everyone being in lockdown. And I also mm-hmm. selfishly, I was like, oh, like I kind of want to prove to myself that I can Aww. do this all by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because I am a very like, I don't know. I like, I'm a very creative person. And I'm like, I also like am a perfectionist. So sometimes I'm just like, <laughs> I just want to do everything on my own. Um, and I basically, um, how did it all start? I was basically working my tech job up until the end of 2020 mm-hmm. and I got the book deal around that time too and it was at that point where I realized like I can't write a book and do a job at the same time mm-hmm. um, it was just like too much That's and true. so like in my head I was just like you know what like who knows when this will happen ever again like you can always go back to your tech job like and so I just ended up quitting my job and just focusing on the book full-time and so I started writing it around 20, January 2021 mm-hmm. and I turned in my manuscript around August but the the journey from January to August was like it was like a whole thing like I felt like I had like never written a book let alone written professionally before and so 
I think there was, there was a whole process of just like figuring out what my, what I wanted to write about and like what my mm -hmm. voice was. I think that was one journey. And I think the other one was like, what, what foods do I even want to show? Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, when I started, I was very much like, okay, like I'm known for dumplings and bao. Like I should do a book about, you know, the things that people know me for. Mm -hmm. um, and I never really thought about putting anything personal in it. Like in my head I or in, in drafts, I was basically like coming up with these dumpling recipes and the descriptions about it would just be like, this is a dumpling with XYZ flavor profiles. It tastes like XYZ and just like all these like adjectives describing these like beautiful dumplings that mm -hmm. this is how you fold it. Mm -hmm. And, and my friends would read the, the, the drafts and they'd be like, this doesn't sound like you at all. Like this, like, <laughs> this just sounds so generic. Like we don't see any of you in it. And so I think through the beginning processes of writing, like it took me a little bit, but I realized like I should just, I don't know, like I shouldn't be afraid to talk about myself and like frame this food around my story and like the struggles I've had with my identity and why this food even exists. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think as I started developing my recipes and writing more, it kind of turned into this book around food that was essentially a way for me to express me trying to figure out my identity. I feel like I'm never, I'm never trying to be an expert and I still feel like I'm figuring it out. Um, and so I think the food and like the stories behind the food very much reflect this kind of like in progress journey that I've been making. And it's, it is very much like a documentation of that period of time, me just like figuring this out, like as I was going. And so a lot of the food is um, like the sourdough or sour cream and onions guy and pancakes where <laughs> it is a recipe that does combine two cultures and um and it is very much like a dialogue around like why why this exists and like how it relates back to my story and so mm -hmm. um so yeah i kind of after getting that feedback from my fr from my friends like i kind of just like let everything down and i just started to you know, write as myself and write in my voice. And I think my goal just became writing a book. I, I My goal became wanting to write a book that I kind of wish I saw as a kid, where yeah. it celebrated the value of kind of being in this in-between space of, you know, mm -hmm. not feeling Asian enough, but also not feeling, you know, American enough or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever your other side is or mm -hmm. other culture is. Yeah. Like I wanted to kind of celebrate that feeling of like not belonging, if that makes sense. So, mm -hmm. um, and to kind of represent it in this like really beautiful way. And I felt like I had never seen that in a cookbook before. So yeah, that's why, that's how it ended up, how it ended up like by the time I finished in August versus yeah. when I started. I love that. It's, I think I have the same sentiment of when mm -hmm. I've seen so many Asian Americans and Asian Australians popping up yeah. in all different industries, like in creative industries, performing arts, yeah. and also in yeah. you know, cooking industries, as, uh, the food industries as well. I feel like, oh, I, I wish I'd seen that when I was growing up, but yeah. it's never too late. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to see, you know, you and a lot of Asian Americans, Asian Australians, the work they're mm -hmm. doing right now, at least my kids will see them and, you know, yeah. really, you know, feeling really proud of that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. 
So first generation, where can our listeners uh, look up to? I, I believe we can pre-order at the moment. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, yeah, you can pre-order. I believe, um, I think there's a site called Book Depository that does mm-hmm. ship worldwide. So they would be able yep. to ship to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, in the US it's available in like Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, um, all the major book um, retailers. But but yeah, if you're international, um, book depository is probably your best bet. So it's pretty what much. What will you be doing now. after this? What do you think? Is it? Do you have any other projects lining up? I would say my next thing that I'm trying to do is um, like a dumpling line. So I'm trying to like oh, sell yeah. dumplings um, mm-hmm. direct to consumer. So it's very. I'm very early. I'm just still researching and mm-hmm. trying to figure out how I would do this. But um, my dream has always been to do like Asian American dumplings. Uh-huh. Um, that you could buy online and people could, um, you know, order and sell. So, uh, very much trying to figure that out next. So, but yeah, I have no clue what's. I, I'm still, I'm still very much figuring it out too. But that's <laughs> so far, that's the top of the bucket list. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, you're still young. You'll, you'll, you'll be there one day. Yeah, <laughs> we'll you. see. Frankie, Frankie's uh, dumplings one day. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much. It's been yeah, thank you. a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Um, such a delightful conversations as well, talking about yeah, you. Yeah, likewise. And yeah, I think that's all my questions for today. Yeah, thank you so much, Frankie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just um, so proud and so amazed by so much uh, work of our young Asian Americans and Asian Australians are doing at the moment. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much for yeah having me on, and it's yeah it's been nice to chat, and yeah, <laughs> looking forward to chatting again sometime.